Hello, I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the May 26th episode of DKP Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Today's learning objective is to identify challenges faced in the early COVID-19 vaccine trials. This educational activity is supported by independent medical educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Eli Lilly and Company, as well as in-kind support by DKB Med LLC. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today, we have Dr. Paul Awater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Today, he will be interviewing Dr. Patrick Flume on his experience running COVID-19 vaccine trials. Dr. Alwater, Dr. Flume, thank you so much for joining today. Thank you, Faith, and delighted to have Dr. Patrick Flume joining us today. Uh, Dr. Flume has uh, had firsthand experience uh, with running vaccine trials, and not just one, uh, but um, several. And uh, I think it's interesting to get uh, some perspective perspectives on uh, the COVID-19 trials to understand why they were set up in certain ways and and also um, how they might still uh, accomplish them going forward. And I think these are perspectives that could be really uh, helpful. And and, uh, first of all, Patrick, which which trials were you involved with? Uh, And uh, did you notice any differences necessarily in terms of how they were designed? We have been involved in three of the vaccine studies. Uh, This includes AstraZeneca, uh, the Novavax, and the Janssen, which is the same vaccine as Johnson & Johnson. It's the same project. You know, in in one sense, all the vaccine studies have a great deal of similarity. Essentially, you recruit healthy subjects, you screen them very quickly, dose them, and then there's monitoring and such. But there are actually some subtle differences, which uh, in terms of the conduct of the study aren't that difficult. But in terms of the interpretation of the results, it makes it a little tricky when we get those results out into the public to what they actually mean. So it's really not fair to compare one vaccine to the other because the definitions that were used for the clinical endpoints were sufficiently different that you can't do that. Yeah, I think early on the FDA laid down the law, as it were, that they wanted at least a 50% efficacy, I believe, uh, for any vaccine manufacturer to apply for an initial emergency use authorization. So why do you think they chose symptomatic COVID as opposed to other strategies? Um, And I know the vaccine manufacturers had to adhere to what the FDA uh, had done, but uh, do you think that was a reasonable endpoint? Well, I think for the purposes of the of what they were trying to accomplish, and we have to think about what the goals are with a vaccine. You know, you you try to prevent infection. 
that would be a laudable goal and what we want to try to do. But the other is to try and prevent serious complications as a result of infection. So even if you can't reduce infection overall, but if you can prevent people from going into the hospital, that's still a major win. And the other aspect of it, and I can't speak for the agency or the sponsors in terms of their negotiated endpoints, but there is a certain amount of practicality in terms of how you measure these. If you want to measure its reduction in symptomatic COVID, then it's, which is what we did, then essentially what you do is you instruct the, the subjects, these are your visits coming back, which are scheduled for us to look at antibody response and so forth, safety issues. But if you get sick, if you have any symptoms, we want you to contact us. We're gonna bring you in and we're gonna test you to see if you have COVID. If you want to see if you reduce infection overall, this gets a little trickier because now you're gonna to have to sample your subjects much more frequently to try and see if you can pick up even those asymptomatic infections. And, and so when you're enrolling 30,000 people into studies, that becomes really, really difficult. So having showing a reduction in symptomatic COVID is a, is a perfectly reasonable approach. And obviously that's what was done and was successful, but that makes it harder to explain to people about, well, what does that mean about preventing infection overall? And then if you do get infected, you know, what's the chance that you actually could be contagious, yeah. which is what we're really trying to do is put this fire out and stop the spread of this infection. Yeah, and those are some of the most common questions that I get fielded as an infectious disease person. So how confident can I be that I won't transmit the infection, especially to someone that might be vulnerable. And it's been hard getting at that. And I think the amazing thing to me has just been how these extremely large trials got set up quickly. And you had to be practical, as you pointed out, that if you, you know, how would we have recruited that many volunteers to come back for a nasal swab every week? Um, probably that would have been a tougher ask uh, uh, in these trials and so on. But there are, for for example, the CDC healthcare uh, study that uh, has done weekly swabbing. And it looks as though uh, even with weekly swabs there, the efficacy rate is about in the same 90% plus range for a generally you know, relatively healthy population. Yeah, it gets tricky because you're, obviously you try to do the study where the infection exists. If you, if you take your, your study of a vaccine to an area where there is no infection, like say they went to New Zealand or Australia, you'd never know if it works. So you try to do it where the, there's a lot of infection happening. But if you really wanted to know, does it prevent infection? And this study was actually proposed, I don't know if it was ever launched. You take healthy people and you essentially vaccinate them or give them placebo and you expose them to the virus. And that would be a bold uh, step to want to volunteer for you know, you're going to give me this infection and, I'm, and we're gonna see how well the vaccine protects me. Um, so I don't know if that actually got launched, but um, you can see how problematic it is to try to bring people in. But, but I too, I think that the data so far would suggest that, I mean, the, what's absolutely clear is that the vaccines re substantially reduce the risk of symptomatic infection, substantially reduce the risk of hospitalization and other severe outcomes and probably substantially reduce the risk of infection. And then there are some added data um, that suggests that those who do get infected still have a lower viral load. 
So they're probably less contagious if they were to become infected. Yeah, and I think that all makes a lot of biologic plausibility that, you know, if you have even partial uh, responses to vaccine, you'll likely have less viral carriage. And my understanding is these human viral challenge studies are indeed going ahead uh, in the UK to try to get at some of those precise answers as to the true correlates of protection, which we can hazard a guess and people are doing modeling about levels of antibodies, especially with these viral variants. But uh, you made a point earlier that I think is important to reinforce. It's what I call my father-in-law question. My father-in-law, which vaccine is best, right? And, you know, you, you know, Pfizer and Moderna are at 95 and 94, but the Janssen J&J vaccine had a lower efficacy, but they were really done during different phases of the uh, pandemic um, when rates of infection, or at least the community rates were different, and perhaps there was more pressure in the fall uh, facing uh, the, the uh, people enrolled in the Janssen vaccine, as opposed to uh, the others. I, I don't know how much that holds, but it does uh, speak to the point that comparing trials done at different points in time and, and different volunteers are not fair compared to a head-to-head -head trial. Yeah, the, the advice I gave to most people, you know, in the beginning is, you know, which one should I get? Well, get the one you can get. and. Uh, you may not have access. And I, I'll ask them, I said, did you, did you choose which flu vaccine you got this year? And they, most people say, I didn't know there was a choice in terms of manufacturers. But, you know, if, if, you, if you have a surplus of vaccine and one has a choice, you know, they might want to ask, like, what's the frequency of side effects? Even those were measured in different ways when you compare Moderna to Pfizer. Um, now, in general, they come up with the same results. You know, yeah, adverse events happen. They generally are mild and transient. Um, so, you know, it's it's the the anecdote that gets out that that makes people nervous. And in, in all the years I've been doing clinical trials, I've never seen so much information leak out as has happened in these vaccine studies. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's absolutely true. So. There's often a frequent concern that uh, the vaccine may not be right for a particular patient. And when vaccine uh, researchers are designing trials, um, uh, how, how is it that we try to mimic uh, what we think are going to be the treatable population? If you perhaps also can add a little bit about um, your location and background and your efforts to try to help match what uh, perhaps the, the vaccine manufacturers had hoped to achieve. Sure. So when you are doing any study, you're trying to enroll a population that would be representative of those people you're going to treat. So for example, a lung cancer trial or what I do in cystic fibrosis to make sure that, that the people who were studied are representative of the people in the, in the community that you're going to be treating. So for a vaccine study, our goal is to vaccinate everybody. So now we need to have a population which is representative of the, the people in your community. So you need to have both sexes, all ages, uh, all races, ethnicities. Um, so even if we were to study only younger people, it's not that that drug wouldn't, the vaccine wouldn't work in older people, but we would like to have greater confidence to be able to tell people, look, we studied it in people of your age group and they did fine or they did very well. 
Uh, you might recall in the European countries, some were hesitant to authorize some of the vaccines because they didn't enroll enough people over the age of 65. So it's very important to try to recruit uh, a representative population. So we, we did our study in South Carolina. We're in Charleston, South Carolina. We are a coastal city. Uh, there are a lot of pragmatic issues one has to take into account when you're launching a study like that. Our goal was to enroll 40 people a day, but when you are enrolling people at those numbers and they come back for subsequent visits, you can see upwards of 80 people a day in the research space. So how do you do that without crowding them together and make it an efficient process? So we looked at taking it outside of downtown, but decided ultimately it needed to be downtown. Nonetheless, we wanted to recruit uh, people from outside of Charleston, you know, within reason for they have to drive down to be seen, but also to recruit uh, older subjects, um, uh, black patients, Hispanic patients. We tried to market the, this by talking to the news stations. Uh, we used our CTSA sponsored uh, research institute to, um, to talk with our community engagement folks uh, to how to basically try to extend into those communities to make sure they felt comfortable with what we were doing. Um, nonetheless, every trial still had to restrict enrollment to make sure that they got people over the age of 65 to make sure that they got a representative population of black subjects and Hispanic because they're, they, they're in some cases hesitant because of fear of the medical side of it, but also uh, they may not have access. You know, they're working uh, maybe two jobs and being able to break away to come down for a trial. So uh, we're very respectable, respective of their time and their commitment. We're very thankful for those that did participate. Um, when people talk about how fast this all happened and they're speaking mainly because they're worried that the, the vaccines were developed too quickly, those were in development for decades. Um, and so we knew what to do. What, what I find the most remarkable is how all these research sites were able to get it up and done in such a rapid manner. That, that is a testament to some organizational structure. Well, uh, Dr. Plume, I really wanted to thank you for your insights on vaccine studies. It's uh, really a testament to uh, researchers such as yourself that have put in such a tremendous effort along with the uh, volunteers that have uh, really led to uh, this amazing public health benefit that we can now all count as a real blessing, really. Uh, so, uh, and uh, our next uh, podcast will uh, focus on some other aspects, including safety uh, regarding uh, vaccine studies. So I hope you can join us then. Well, thank you for having me. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.